You're listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, and I'm your host, Deirdre Morrison. My thing is helping people understand how our brains work so that we can be better and do better in any area of life that's important to us. So as well as bite-sized brain science, I'll be bringing you interviews and advice from experts and guests who specialize in working with entrepreneurs and leaders to help them explore potential, possibilities, and ways to be more effective. And the best bit? We can start right now. Today's guest works with people who want to knock that important speech out of the park. And her fun, energetic approach to these often terrifying occasions makes her love of public speaking somewhat infectious. But it's not all about TEDx opportunities or conferences. Britta Wenska's speaking wisdom gets behind the big things about public speaking and shows us how it's often the little things that make the magic between a speaker and their audience. And in typical fashion, our conversation goes from rock-solid advice that's hard to ignore to why you should be more like Bruce Springsteen on stage and why, most of all, speaking should be fun. So, Britta. Hello. How are you? <laughs> that's always a load of questions. <laughs> I could talk okay. about my, my daughter throwing up this morning. I'm, I'm going, oh my God, I can't cancel anything today. What are we going to do? And then she just she just spat into this like bag and she said, no, I'm fine. I'm like, <laughs> okay, well then we'll find. So I'm good. But you know what you've done, actually, you've really just set us up for the topic there because did. you didn't answer the question. You you answered the topic, which is about storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yes. So obviously you work with a lot of people who are preparing important talks and important speeches and so on. Yes. Why is it that you think of storytelling as such a vital tool for a speaker? Well, because we are wired to understand stories way better than facts and figures. I mean, way back when we sat around the fire in a circle and the way we like gave our knowledge to each other was through stories. And our brain, is, I mean, you would know, our brain is still wired that way. And I've, I mean, I've been a speaker coach for the past almost 20 years and I've noticed the more tangible my clients make their talks, give examples, you know, add sensory details, the better the audience understands it. Mm-hmm. Because it's one thing to talk about, you know, the facts and figures. And the other thing is, well, what, what does it feel like to do the thing? Like, how did I experience it? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, there's this famous saying, I don't, I don't even know, was it Maya Angelou who said, people were, they will forget what you said, but they will always remember what they felt like when you spoke. Hmm. And I'm not saying facts and figures are bad. I think we need them, but we need to infuse them with little tiny stories. Hmm. You know, and that's why I think it's so important. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree, actually. And, and the more I do this sort of stuff and the more I talk to people and the more I deliver training and classes and whatnot, um, the more I recognize how people can suddenly relate to something that is otherwise dry and abstract when you've got a story to go with it. Absolutely. And speaking is always about relating. It's it's mm-hmm. the number one thing I always say to my clients. It's the more you can, you can relate to your audience and the more your audience can relate to you. Yeah. The more you are, you are in them, you're with, you're in them with it together. Mm, it's yeah. not you against them. It's the two of you. In, yeah. in this beautiful story that you tell. 
And as well as that, it, it gives people a lot of, when you're telling personal stories anyway, mm-hmm. it, it gives people a lot of context about who you are and what yeah. you're about, I suppose. Um, I mean, recently I, I was doing um, a session, a workshop, and I was actually telling a story about my gran and how, you know, something had really helped her, something yeah. that I was able to do that is because of, you know, my work and so on. Yeah. But that, I think, not only kind of humanized me as the, the the person who was doing this thing, but it it was also right. Okay, well, you know what? I've I've got a gran or an auntie or yeah. a yeah. Um, and suddenly, as you say, we are all connected. We all yes. have the same features in our lives. Yeah, it's all of a sudden there there are touch points. Mm. You know, mm. and now we're being touched and we're being moved by something that that someone said. So it's yeah. incredibly important. It's just it's this. Oftentimes I find when someone prepares for a talk, they make it all about, in a way, they give the power to the audience and they go, oh, well, if they treat me nice, I'm going to be nice. Mm. Or if, if they make me feel safe, I can open up. But I think it's the other way around. I need to walk up there and I need to open up and I got to show parts of myself. I know I need to take up space and invite them in and then they can come. Yeah, yeah. Right. So there's there's a great responsibility and a great power when it comes to speaking. And we speak all the time. I'm not just talking about public speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same when I when I speak with my husband. How vulnerable can I be? And vulnerable meaning courageous. How courageous can I be in my communication? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a very profound way of looking at it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally yeah, agree. And I, yeah. I I recognize that, you know, when, when people go into a conversation and they are trying to protect something, they are trying mm-hmm. to be not rejected or, you know, mm-hmm. they're trying not to feel bad about their performance or whatever, then they're coming at it in a situation where um, I guess they're reducing that energetic output that people can Absolutely. connect to. Absolutely. If I walk on stage or move into a conversation with the notion of I have to protect myself, Mm. then there's a certain energy that can flow. And interesting enough, I ask people sometimes, well, what's the worst that can happen? And then they come up with all these scenarios. People might not like me. Someone might ask a bad question. Someone, you know, I might trip and fall. I might, all these things, you know. And then I ask, so how many times has it actually happened (laughs) <laughs> and I say, well, actually, now that I think about it, never. Yeah. And I go, that is so interesting. So you, you are afraid of something that might possibly happen, but it has never happened. And it probably will never happen. And if it happens, you will know what to do. So this actually is really interesting in the um, context of storytelling, because mm-hmm. storytelling is happening at a number of levels here from what you're saying. So mm-hmm. we've we've got the stories that we prepare to tell people to engage mm-hmm. them with us. But then there's also the much more potentially damaging stories that we're already telling ourselves if we Absolutely. are that sort of nervous speaker. Absolutely. And it's interesting that oftentimes we relate to the stories in our head way more than to what's actually happening. And um, I'm going to tell you a story. I was at some point, it was a couple of years ago, I was trying to learn, you know, there are these, these kind of riddles or, yeah, it's like Peter, Paul and Mary are standing at the start, like the start line. They want to, you know, they're running a race and Mary is wearing a red shirt. Peter has a brother and I don't know, Paul is wearing <laughs> a black, has black hair. Who is winning the race? <laughs> 
You know, these kind of things. And yeah, yeah. I always wanted to understand because there's a scientific way of getting to the solution. How do these things work? So I hired a mentor. I said, teach me how to think logically. And he was trying really hard. And I remember at one point, it was a Monday, I was sitting at my desk and he was trying to explain it to me and I could not understand. They were for the life of me. I was like, I, I just, I, I don't get it. And then it was something interesting happened because all these thoughts in my head came up. You're too stupid. You'll never amount to anything. You'll end up lonely under a bridge, dead broke. You know, the whole thing. Like within seconds, my life went down the drain, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just looking. And I think my, 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 just my face and my, my, my body just kind of Crumpled. communicated that, of course. And, and at some point he said, Britta, where are you right now? And I said, I'm here. And he said, no, 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 you're not here. You are somewhere in your head. You are relating to something in your head right now. You're not relating to me right now. Because truth is, nothing bad is happening at this point. Yeah. You just don't understand this yet. But you are in your mind. You are, I, I don't even know where you are, but you're not with me. And that was such an eye-opener for me because I think this happens in speaking as well. Yeah. I'm about to walk on stage and oh my God, I'm being feathered and I don't know, teared up and feathered. That's a German expression. I don't know if you have that by my audience. Something terrible is going to happen. Yeah. Truth is no. I know, but you're asking, you're asking a very kind of uh, emotional part of your brain mm -hmm. that is perceiving a threat to yes. actually reimagine it and actually look at it as it is rather than as it perceives it to be. That's a big well, chunk of work. It, it, it is. And I mean, of course, you are the expert on that. It's like all I know is it's coming from like way back when we were living still in tribes where, you know, standing alone in front of a large group of people without a weapon most certainly meant death. And I heard that we still have this programming in us. So when I'm on stage speaking without a weapon, all my organs exposed, It's like, a, literally, it's a fear of death deep down inside. Apparently, that's what I read. So Death by speaking. Death by speaking, I know. <laughs> <laughs> There's also, I don't know who said it. Someone said, people would rather live, oh God. People would rather lie in the cascade than give this, the eulogy, is that the, the word? Oh, yes, yeah. The, the The thing that at the funeral. The funeral speech, yeah. The funeral speech, yes. So, yeah, interesting. <laughs> it Whereas, is. you know, if we just breathed and looked at what's going on, which is I'm standing, I'm breathing, I'm grounded, and there are people who are going to listen to me, period. And this, I guess, takes us to something else that we mentioned briefly before we started recording, which is this idea that people feel that they have got to go out there and be perfect mm. on their first attempt. I don't know. And this, this, I think, is another story that people tell themselves that everybody else is better at this than I am. Oh, the classic. Yes. And you and I, you and I said, it's how, how can the end result be the first take? Mm. When, like when, I when I record videos with my videographer, like I can't even tell you how many times we stop. And she goes, no, 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 no. This doesn't make any sense. Or, oh, my God, <laughs> you, you didn't use your hands. Or, you know, and... That's why I love posting all the bloopers that I have, because I want to show people, see, it happens to all of us. 
Mm. And mm. there is no such thing as a natural born speaker. Mm. See, we don't walk around thinking someone is a natural born pianist. They're just being born. They can play the piano or a marathon runner. Runner. We don't. Yeah. So when someone with speaking, we think, oh, they they just born that way. And yeah, it's, it's not true. Actually, it's really really interesting that this seems to be similar to a conversation I had recently um, about you know people think that they should just be able to draw. Yeah, that seems to be the I same know. kind of thing. I know. Yeah. Obviously, you know, I can pick up a pencil and put a line on paper. Therefore, I should be able to draw really yeah. well. I can open my mouth and words come out and therefore I should be I should able to be, stand I agree. up in front of a crowd and speak very well. I agree. It's, it's, it's some of the things that somehow come come natural in terms of, you know, I'm, you know, I pick up a pen and I draw, like you said, we think well, I should just be able to. It, it's just not true. But and then, mm. you know, we, we, we try, we give it a, like a first try, we fail and we think, see, I told you it's not for me. <laughs> Yes, like, that's right. I'm going to save myself from further embarrassment by never trying that again. <laughs> See, and that's there's a fear of failure. And I, I have two kids, and I bet, and I always use this this example when they were learning to walk. And you know how kids just they take two steps, they fall down, and then I don't know they hit their head, and I don't know. It's I think this is a very painful experience learning to, learning to walk. <laughs> but I don't think at some point they said. You know, this walking thing is not for me. I'm just going to keep crawling for the rest of my life. Bum shuffle. Bum shuffle, right? Can you imagine like grown people bum shoveling down the street? <laughs> I love this. <laughs> this is a new word. Just bum shovel down the street. No, but it's they don't. They just go, oh, my God, that didn't work. What can I do? And then they try again. They fall again. And I mean, but as adults, we don't do that. We go, oh, it didn't work first time. I'm just going to. It's speaking yeah. is not for me. So, again, I was having a, another conversation recently mm -hmm. um, and we were talking about the idea that, um, you know, people actually have completely forgotten what I was going to say there. So that's OK. <laughs> <laughs> we, well, if we do another 10 takes or so, I'll probably get that right. Perfect. People will be like, oh, my God, I can't believe we're having this effortless conversation. And it's the first take that they've done. Like, we've been talking for hours. I know. Look, don't worry. It'll come back round. It's like the train, the train of thought has now left the station, but there will be another one along soon. <laughs> well, and it's, it's also about this, um, what we said earlier, um, speaking is about taking up space. And so oh, yes. people are afraid to to take up space and i mm. it, that they just rush through everything that they say and they they lose their train of thought and they just they become unclear because they just want to you know i just want to get it over and done with mm. and i've worked with so many people and the moment they start to actually slow down and make pauses all of a sudden there's space yeah. And that can feel scary, but it's also the most amazing feeling because all of a sudden there's room for people to respond. And it's yeah. a give and take. And, and there was something that you said at one point, and it stayed with me um, for a long time now. You said something about, you know, the act of breathing while you mm -hmm. speak being a radical act. And I just loved it that is. concept. It is because, I mean, breath, inhalation equals inspiration. And the moment we, we hold our breath, we're not inspired anymore. 
And then we, we put the body under a lot of stress because now there's no oxygen. And then we start to rush through everything. And then we, we, we can't even follow ourselves anymore, mm. let alone the audience. They just go, what, what are they? What was she saying? I have no idea. What was that? And whoa, hang on, hang on. Yeah. So it's like we're, we're like this race. And mm. speaking is not a race. Speaking should be a stroll in the park, looking at the scenery and just allowing the breath. Inhale, pause, speak. And then that little sparkle in your eyes where you go, oh my God, I love, love being here with everyone. Yeah. But if we hold our breath, you know. We limit ourselves. Totally. And there's something that came up actually as you were saying that, you know, this idea um, of using stories as, mm -hmm. I guess, uh pearls on the necklace that, you know, we, we're, we're joining this strand together. It actually, when we know that story, it does seem to make it easier for us to go from one part to another yeah. part. It's yeah. a connector as well as anything else, isn't it? It is. It is. And oftentimes I, when I work with someone, I hear that they say, I'm afraid I'm going to ramble. Mm -hmm. And rambling is always a lack of specificity. It's that I'm just going to throw everything into the mix that I know. It's like, Take it or leave it. Here's everything I know. Dear audience, pick whatever you want, mm. which is not fair for the audience. Because yeah. it's my job as a speaker to go, okay, what, what is important to them? So when we don't have the pillars of the story, we start to ramble. And then mm. we lose precision and then we lose the audience. So I guess that's part of our pre-work, if you like, mm -hmm. part of our research and our preparation is to curate what it is that we're going to deliver. Oh, absolutely. It's, I mean, I've said this so many times, but every speaker's primal scream is, I have so much to say. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we all suffer. I, I suffer from that. When I'm asked to give a speech, I go, oh my God, I could talk for five days about speaking. Mm. I have 20 minutes. Yeah. Now the the solution is not to cram everything into these 20 minutes. Mm. The, the, the real work is to go, who's at the event? Who is my audience? What mm. is it that they need to know? And not what do I want to say, but what do they need to know? Not necessarily what do they want to know. Yeah. But what, what do I, from my expert status, think they need to know? Who are they? Mm. Like I always say, get to know your audience like you get to know a first date. You really have to become interested in who mm. it is that you're speaking to. Otherwise, it becomes random. And it seems very much as well, from what you're saying there, that it's it's like that quote about, um, you know, perfection is not when there's nothing left to add, but when there's nothing left to take away. Absolutely. What's absolutely. I love that. Yes. It's that what's the minimum that they need to know? And mm. not what's the maximum I can put into my 5, 10, 20 minutes. Mm. But what's the minimum? It's like oftentimes, like, we we treat them, like, we stuff information into our audience until they're like, I, I can't take it anymore. Leave me alone. And then they mm -hmm. tune out. But we have to feed them the bits and pieces of the story and, and the, the data that we have. It's like a light three-course meal. They have to leave afterwards and go... That was amazing. Hmm. You know, I'm, I've I'll learned come back something. to this restaurant. I'll come back. Yes. <laughs> As opposed to, I just, oh my God, you know, three days, three days Christmas, you're eating. And by day three, I go, I can never see 
if I have to see another chocolate bar, I'm just going to vomit. Right? It, mm. it just doesn't work that way in speaking. So tell me, there's something I'm curious about. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard this uh, sort of said in various places, you know, that if people are worried about repeating their information, repeating their stories, saying things in different ways and, you know, but really, you know, giving the same details. Mm-hmm. And I, I, someone once said, well, you know what? Think of the number of times that your favourite singer has sung mm-hmm. their number one song. Um, and they've probably done it thousands of times and the mm-hmm. audience still wants to hear that song. Yes. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, so I've followed him probably around the world, I would say. <laughs> um, full disclosure here. Um, so Stalker I, alert. Totally, Bruce, if you're listening, you can call me. <laughs> no, but um, so I've heard like his songs over and over again, but... It's just um, because he doesn't make it sound boring. That's why I can keep listening over and over again. So, of course, mm-hmm. when I walk on stage, I can I can think to myself, oh, my God, I've told this story a million times. I just can't even hear it anymore, which is very disrespectful towards my audience. Right. Mm-hmm. Or I can go. This is important and someone might need to hear this and I can find that energy within myself. And depending on the audience, I might shift the story a little bit. I might, you know, add another yeah. detail. It's it, We always have the, the, the choice to change it, but the core is going to stay the same. Yeah. And that's, it's, that's okay. It's like it's like a good production of the Mikado. You know, there's always the list yeah. in the Mikado. And yeah. every every time they go somewhere new, they add in something local to the list. Yes. See, and that's the thing. The course stay the same, but you can always add little things or, you know, leave little things out depending on who you're speaking to, depending on what you feel like that day. Mm. It's And it's, sometimes it's interesting you know, when I teach trainings. I'm, I have to say there are certain jokes I've made for the past 15 years. Mm. Because they work, and and sometimes I go, I can't believe people are still laughing about this. But I guess the thing is, they're not the same people. See, that's the thing. <laughs> and even if they are the same people, they still laugh because somehow I am able to make it funny in that moment, right? Yeah. But and it's, it's that, such flawed thinking, though, isn't it? You know, we we have this idea that okay, I said this thing on the internet once, and everyone on the internet was listening that day. <laughs> <laughs> and they've understood it. That's the. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I pull out a life and I go, "This is gonna be just amazing." <laughs> the internet is gonna explode and go crazy. And then I go, "I guess it didn't. Maybe not everyone listened." That's so strange. <laughs> we, we just we just tend to make it all about ourselves, and we think. Like, and that's why even when we totally new thought here, but like when something goes wrong when we do a live or we do something that we think, oh my God, I don't know if this is okay. We think, like you said, everyone listened and everyone saw that and now they're going to rip me apart. But in fact, no one really cares. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's actually, it's one of the great things about starting something like this, isn't it? Because yeah. for the for the most time in the early days, you're just talking to yourself. <laughs> you don't have to worry too much about it. No one's listening. Hello, Richard. Nice that you're here. At least you're here. <laughs> No, it's true. It's true. I mean, and even now when I send something out to my list and, you know, I, I put a video in there and then it's, <laughs> next day I go, I'm very excited how many uh, hundreds and thousands of people have watched this. And I go, oh, God, the opening rate was really bad. <laughs> it's like, 
50 people, well, at least something, you know, so it's, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's all okay. okay. And I think that's, that's where the playfulness comes in and where the joy comes in, where you're like, it doesn't really, it, it doesn't matter, but then it doesn't matter. And that's why one of the things I love about Bruce Springsteen is that when things go wrong on stage, so one of the things I love about Bruce is that he's so spontaneous and that he doesn't really care what people think. So that, you know, that one show where I was at and people, someone requested a song from the audience and they picked it and he counted the band in one, two, three, four. And then the band just, they played, I think, six different songs. And the look on Bruce's face was just like, what's happening? And then he burst out into laughter. I said, stop, stop. The play, I don't know, Hungry Heart. I don't I don't remember the song. And then the band laughed. And then he said, it's going to be G, I don't know, G minor, G major. I don't know. But um, it was so interesting because something didn't go according to plan. Mm. And you could just stop and laugh about it and be okay with it. Yeah. And that's the, and that's where the humanness and the connection starts. Mm. And I think the more we try to control the room, which to me just means... I hope everything is going to be according to my plan. Mm. You know, the more we try to control, the less spontaneous we are and the less fluid we become with our audience. Yeah. But if I move in and I go, I'm just going to respond to whatever is happening. It doesn't mean that I go off track or that I leave my plan, but I can just, something happens, someone makes a comment, I can just reply to the comment. Mm. If I trip Mm. and fall, I just laugh and get back up and I keep talking. You know, and I think the more we find that, the more fun it is. Yeah. It's like leaving our expectations at the door and then finding a way to yeah. dance with what really happens. Oh, this is this is beautiful. This is really mm. beautiful, Dieter. Yeah. Because it is a dance. It's never mm. me against the audience. It's me with my audience. And they're not my enemies. People no. want people to succeed generally. No one yeah. is going to sit in the audience, go, I hope she's going to fail. I mm. hope she's going to trip and fall and lose a train of thought. It, it, at least I don't do that. And I don't know anyone no. who would. We, we are there. We go, this is going to be amazing. And this person will succeed. And if something doesn't go according to plan, you know, they trip and fall or the PowerPoint doesn't work. We cheer them on. We go, oh, my God, come on. Yes, you, you can do this. Yeah. People are inherently good, I believe. So mm. we shouldn't assume yeah. the worst from our audience. I agree. So one last thing to wrap up, Britta. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a kind of a question to tie back into where we started earlier, mm-hmm. which was with storytelling. Mm-hmm. So if you've got somebody who is choosing a story, what would be three elements that you would want that story to have? Is, could, could you maybe out or pinpoint three things that a good story should have? Well, to me, the most important thing is always it needs to be relatable. Mm hmm. So if I talk to students, I'm going to choose a different story than if I talk to to Mm C-suites. So that's why, again, the audience, getting to know the audience is so important. So it needs to be relatable and it needs to be tangible. So I want to, I want to, you know, use these two as the most important things. So Mm -hmm. uh, like, how do I say this? What, what did you feel like when you experienced the thing? What does it, what did it smell like? What were the sensations like? What were you know, like, was there wind? Was there sun? Like, what did it feel like? And talk to it as if you were in there in that moment. Don't make it abstract. 
to recreate it. Yes. Bring it to life. Yes. Like that's, that's, that's the power of speaking. Mm. You know, that's why we speak in the first place. Speaking can turn information into inspiration. Mm. That's why like speaking adds this extra layer to our messages, to our stories. Otherwise we could just send a text document. Mm. You know, that's why when we really need to figure things out with someone, we don't say let's text. We say we need to talk. Yeah. Yeah. And the more tangible I make my experience and now, you know, it gets a bit technical, but short sentences, mm. pauses, slowing down, the, the better it is and the more relatable we are as speakers. Well, I think we can all work with that. Yeah. Britta, great advice and an absolutely uh, incredibly fun session to record. So thank you so much for, for doing this You're with so us today. Well, thank um, you. And just I would actually say as well, you know, one of the things that I learned most, I, I think people might sometimes think that they're not ready for, you know, to work with mm. a professional speaking coach. Um, mm -hmm. You know, oh, well, I, I need to, you know, do a few more things first. But actually, one of the things that I learned most from was doing sessions with a professional, because then you see how long it takes yes. them and you go, yes, you're actually a whole lot kinder to yourself after that, I think. Absolutely. And it's always I sometimes think that people treat speaking as a distraction from their business. Mm but it's part of your business. And because we speak all the time, speaking is not just the big stages. It's not just the, the TED talk or the TEDx talk. It's also, it's the sales call. It's mm. the live. It's the video mm. I'm recording. It's it's the podcast I'm doing. Yeah. All of yeah. that is speaking and that's part of our business. So don't wait till you're ready. There's an incredible power in knowing how to speak and in knowing what to say. Love it. Wise words, Britta. And we will put all the details in the show notes. So anyone who is looking to do the TEDx talk, anyone who is looking to do the podcast, anyone who's looking to do all of these things, look up Britta's resources because she has some amazing ones. Thank you so much. Thank you, Britta. You are so welcome. Bye. You're still here? Great. Look, I know there's a lot to choose from out there. So thanks for flying with Ambition Incubator Airlines. And I look forward to seeing you on board again soon. Seriously, though, thank you for tuning in. My guests and I love hearing about what inspires you on the show and what advice has made a difference in your life or work and what you'd like more of. So get in touch. If you want to know about my other work, head over to ambitionincubator.com for details. And don't forget to hit subscribe for more great interviews, advice and bite-sized brain science every week. 